Hello and welcome to Smashed, the podcast of Jin and the 4077, where we talk about all things MASH, the TV show, and Jin, <laughs> which uh, this time we have Jin and Tonics because uh, straight Jin was a little too much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think everyone needs to hear me um, coughing the entire show. Uh, and who are you? Yeah, I was getting there. Okay. <laughs> I am uh, one of your hosts, Ian E. Muller, and you are? I am Ellie Collins. Uh, my credentials are that I am a, the eighth, ge- what would have been the eighth generation of an army family, but I went to fashion school instead. <laughs> and mine are that I've watched MASH 11 times. I've watched it sporadically well, over the years. This will be the t- 11th watch yeah this will be we thought it was 10th last time it's 11th um and we didn't talk about last time but uh for the people who don't normally watch mash and you're uh getting into it because of us because you know us from other things that we've created uh why are we drinking gin ian we are drinking gin because uh, hawkeye and trapper and later hawkeye and bj uh have a homemade bathtub gin still in their tent it's kind of a common through line of the entire show. Yep. Um, it's, it's, it's very important. Like, they make their own hooch, hooch. to uh, <laughs> stave off the horrors of meatball surgery and war. And uh, we just thought it would be fun to drink gin while we watch. And we will use the phrase meatball surgery a lot. That just means like the the kind of surgery that's not neat and tidy. It's just meant to keep you standing. Yep. It's uh. it's the idea of keep them keep them from dying so that we can send them off to so that they're stable enough to fly to an actual hospital where they can be like properly patched back together. Steak versus meatball. <clears throat> yeah. All right. So let let's try this and we'll see how I do. So specifically, let me let me specify for our, our listeners at home. Oh, yeah. What are we drinking? Hashtag not sponsored. I We are drinking. <laughs> uh, I don't remember the distillery. Old Fourth Ward. Old Fourth Ward distillery <laughs> from Atlanta. Uh, they have a gin that is, I think, very good. I have made myself a fairly standard gin and tonic. And for Ellie, Four. you are actually having, I believe I made you a Tom Collins. Okay. <clears throat> That's my favorite character from Rent. We're good. Okay, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, cheers. Lahayim. That is noticeably better. There you go. I can actually drink this. Yep, that has simple syrup and lemon juice and ice in it, so it's been watered down a bit. Okay, um, yeah. And soda water. Yeah, it's a... Uh... Definitely better. It tastes like lemonade gone wrong. So I can I can do that. Okay. It tastes like lemonade that Hawkeye made, so we're good. Yep. <laughs> Alright, so now we are going to talk about episode two. I feel like we should be saying the episode title. Season one, episode two. Uh we can. This this one was to market to market. Ah. The first one was pilot. Yeah, this one was to market to market. Um we got the classic intro that we all know and love, which was the first couple of minutes of the pilot. Yep. Um, with a very quick cut away from Lieutenant Dish. <laughs> um, yeah, she's not in the show much longer. Yeah. Uh, I will say, uh, <laughs> humming uh, a 
because I watch with, um, I'm hard of hearing, so I watch with subtitles. Uh, humming crochet your titties is certainly a way to open the show. No uh, one would have caught that if they didn't have closed captioning on. Right. Which they, was not that popular and common in the 70s. So, yeah. So that feels like a fun little, um, <clears throat> like, snuck in thing. Yeah. That they just like, nobody's going to catch this. And then some closed captioner like 20 years later was like, I got you. <laughs> I think this one opens really weird for me because it like starts with this weird shot looking up at Hawkeye and Trapper while they're mm-hmm. doing surgery on a general. Yeah. And it's almost as if it's from the patient's point of view. And it's like, no, I don't I don't like that. Yeah. That makes me uncomfy. The uh, <clears throat> the hospital scene is really weird to me because there's like no foley, which is um, the art of adding sound effects that are natural to the environment. Um, like uh, foley would be like, oh, that is spiking our audio. Sorry, audience. Clinking a ring against a glass. I will, I'll fix that in post. <laughs> nope, we'll forget. Um I'm the one editing these. No, I won't. <laughs> We're going to be three chins in when you edit this. I'm going to edit. So I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> right drunk. Edit sober. <laughs> Trust me. I will be editing these completely sober. Uh, <clears throat> speak, so like the, the distinct lack of sound effects and the hospital noises and everything yeah. that we come to hear as a busy hospital. It feels like they created this very, uh, haha, sterile, um, but environment sh- for the shot like it's not an active hospital scene which even though like it which looks- they change later on yeah um so it's just weird it feels like a weird we're too scared to have like a ton of audio going on i don't know it felt very new tv show yeah like the kind of newbie mistake yeah and still with those dumb sound effects and soundtrack so counter to uh, the pilot like this is a good episode of mash like, this introduces the, well, it introduces the idea of the black market, which is uh, kind of a, goes through the entire series. Not in the same way, but it's it does. And it also introduces much more personality for some of the characters, like mm-hmm. Blake's ineptitude as a commander and uh, Radar's willingness to break rules and go behind people's back to help Hawkeye and Trapper and Hawkeye and Trapper is just pure, we don't care about anyone. We don't care about anything that won't actually hurt someone. Yeah. But as long as it doesn't actually hurt someone, they're perfectly fine pulling all sorts of fucking shenanigans. Yeah. I, it's a good <clears throat> episode. In, um, I guess I, it's I would a better, call it's, it a proof of concept. This would, have, this would have been a good pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If the show started here without the other episode, I think yeah. it would be good. Um. It's also the first episode to feature Radar's eating disorder. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is. He eats so much food. Um, he's also a farm boy. Yeah. And ar- <laughs> hmm, army mess hall versus what you can eat on a farm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I wrote in my notes for this episode, ooh, the oak desk, because <laughs> I remember this episode very well. Yeah. Uh, it was one of those ones that stands out to me. Um, but like Blake is such a completely ineffective CO, like not even 
and this might be the army side talking, um, but like Blake is so ineffective that it is very distracting for me mm-hmm. at for him as a character. Like yeah. it's not funny to me right, as yeah. much. Like when Potter fucks up, it's funny because he's actually very capable. So when he does something stupid, <coughs> it's for a comedic reason, like taking a sleeping pill or they actually get the better of him. Yeah. For Blake, it's just yeah, it's it's because characters like Blake and Frank for me that the only purpose they serve is to be a roadblock for the plot. Yep, gets on my nerves. Yeah, no, absolutely. It it just annoys me really mm-hmm. bad. Well, this is like we we've talked about this before. Like, in the, even in the last episode, radar is much more functional and mature and useful. Mm-hmm. He's a much more likable character early on, and neither of us like him in later seasons. Yeah. Um, and he becomes a caricature. Houlihan is very much in the same vein as Blake and Frank early on, and has the reverse path of Radar, where she has shows tons of character growth and becomes a great character later on. Yeah. So I, I like that, that there's balance there, but yeah, with like Blake and Frank Burns, it's like... Mm, they serve very little purpose. Yeah, they only exist to be in Trapper and Hawkeye's way. Yeah. It's it's very... Uh, they're the Mr. Feeny from Boy Meets World. Like, Mr. Feeny became great later on, but in the early Boy Meets World episodes, he was just there to stop them from what they were doing. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I've never watched Boy Meets World. Oh! No. Oh no. We're gonna have to make a new podcast called Husband Meets TV Show. It's just gonna be me oh, showing no. you TV shows you've never watched. Um Yeah, I uh I also noted and I could be wrong, correct me on this. This is one of the only times we see Korea. Like like the Oh yeah like them going into town. Uh, yeah, because all we ever really ever see of Tokyo or Seoul are... Like, inside offices. Inside, yeah, inside offices or hotel rooms. Yeah, we never see, like, the city, because otherwise we would know that they're filming in California. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like, that was, that was a really standout thing for this episode for me, is that even though it's just the shot of, like, them seeing the, the Jeep in the alleyway that's been booted... <coughs> yeah. It... You actually saw Korea, which they other don't... Other than the countryside. Yeah, other than the countryside, yep. which the countryside you can fake. Yeah, That exactly. was an actual set built of a Korean alley. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that scene in general, I, I really like Char- the character Charlie Lee. Me too! <laughs> he's fantastic. I love Charlie! So he's, Char- he's so good. Charlie Lee runs the black market operations, but he's actually very helpful. He's very nice to Hawkeye and Trapper. He wants to help them. He cuts them deals... Um, he immediately adopts an offensive Asian accent when he starts talking to uh, Colonel Blake when he is impersonating a general because he knows that that's what Colonel Blake expects to hear. Yeah, and and that was... It was jarring when he first started doing it, and then the second I caught, like, oh, he's doing this, like, as a play. Yeah. That was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I, I wish they would have done more episodes or kept with the concept of the active black market. Like this episode, uh, 
that joke I constantly say to you, my favorite character in the town is the city of Boston. Um, uh, and it wasn't even filmed but, there. I know. <laughs> but uh, it's it's that joke. But this episode, Korea got to be a character because we got to yeah. see a black market business. We got to see the alleyway, the restaurant. Yeah. Like, you, we, we, we got to see more of how korea functioned during the korean war yeah and so i wish that they had done more of that because like we eventually get like the black marketers that come with um with the little cart one of my other favorite characters we'll get to him when he shows up yep uh, or the little in, chicago rest in peace we lost him this year yeah um or the little chicago black market thing that's a yeah. major episode later on yeah but this is the one time we get to see like established areas like so it would have been nice if they would have kept with stuff like that i realized probably production limitations at the time but you know yeah and uh <coughs> i just think it would have been cool to have more uh stuff based that way yeah i agree um oh yeah <laughs> i wrote i will never understand margaret and frank nope never i will never understand that as a pairing i that feels like a like to use old fandom terms that feels like a crack ship like, it feels like Margaret and Frank are something that you would read on AO3 in a fanfic because people, like, somebody just thinks they'd be good together. Not as an actual, like, on-the-show relationship because every scene, it makes no sense. I gotcha. I, I hate it so much. I can much. put that in Avatar terms, but that's about it. <laughs> I won't understand. I know. <laughs> I do think it's funny, though, because you're talking about the scene where they're, like, spying on uh, Hawkeye and Trapper while they're making the deal with uh, Lee Charlie Lee at the camp. There's a funny scene where they're by the destination signpost, mm -hmm. and there's actually two different signs for San Francisco on it. I want to believe that that's <coughs> two different officers from San Francisco. Like, different parts of San Francisco. Because if you talk to people from there, they're very different areas. Oh, yeah. So, like, one person from the Bay Area and someone else from, like, Oakland. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like that's got to be two different officers. Could be, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we got, for as much as I hate Margaret and Frank together, we did get the iconic line of your lobes. Your lobes. <laughs> your lobes. I love your lobes. Uh, that That's still fucking hilarious. And I think it's hilarious because that is one of the most relatable things Frank does is the stumble to tell a woman what you find attractive about her and picking the weirdest thing. But she's so into you. She's just like, oh, my God, thank you. Like, I feel like if you if you told me that my lobes were attractive, I'd be like, oh, like, it's just it's one of the few very relatable moments of the two of them of the love makes you stupid. Kind yeah. of thing. Like, yeah. and I think it's hilarious. No, that's that's fair. Uh, but the format of this episode, uh, the reason why earlier when you said uh, it was a good episode and I disagreed. Oh, yeah. Is this episode feels very classic sitcom. We have a problem and we got to solve it in 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, it's solved by the credits. Yeah. it. I didn't feel any, like imperative nature there was no stress of like oh my god are they gonna get the desk out of there no they are it this is sitcom format it's a very formulaic they're gonna get the desk out by the credits it's just how are they getting the desk out yeah and which they do in, with comedic fashion and then you get the great 
shot of uh, Commander Blake being so incompetent that he doesn't even notice the wall missing. Uh, yeah. I, I want this episode with Colonel Potter and BJ instead. Because just Sherman Potter walking in to see the back half of his office dropped open would have been way funnier. So, interesting commentary on why this episode wouldn't work in later seasons. Mm Mm-hmm. Hawkeye and Trapper love Colonel Blake, but they don't respect him as a commanding officer. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is why they steal his antique wooden desk. Yeah. They would never have stolen Potter's desk. Because they respect him as a person too much. That's very true. That's very true. I just think that the moments that occur in this would have been funnier. Yes. Like if it, there had been a different reason for them to be trapped in the office and have to saw the back wall off of it. Yeah. That's more yeah, what yeah, I yeah, mean. Yeah. Like, no, I know. Like I just, I, certain, you reminded certain me of that. jokes in this just <clears throat> would have been funnier with characters that were more fleshed out or could have more of a reaction yeah, than just definitely. standing there, you know, catching flies. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just. This episode was not good. I will say, though, going from the end back to the beginning and seeing the reset of Margaret's hairstyles. Margaret's hairstyles very much tell the story of the times that they're going through because they put a lot of effort in making sure that (laughs) Margaret, for who she is, would always have the the most up-to-date hairstyle. That's just who she is as a person. Yeah. She would want to make sure that she has what is the fashionable style and be very fashion forward with her hair. Cause that's about the only way she can express herself. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I just really like, like when we cut back and knowing that knowing when this started and seeing the change of Margaret's hair, it's really kind of cool to like notice on this rewatch, how Margaret's hair kind of changes with the time Yeah, to be fashion forward. Definitely. Yeah. Cause, and she's changing her hair even mid-season and later seasons. Yeah, exactly. But a lot of that has to do with her character growth, too, because she doesn't change her hair much early on. Yeah. Because her character and her personality are so tied to Frank's until she becomes a a person on her own. Yeah. Um, One thing I thought was interesting that um, Hawkeye and Trapper even pretended to pray Mm. when Frank caught them. Like... I feel like it was the, they would have pretended to be playing cards, but they didn't have a deck of cards on them, so they went with the only thing they could do with nothing in their pockets. But I feel like Hawkeye and BJ were more clever than that. Oh, yeah, definitely. But it also just, um, the atheistic nature of, um, of what war, or rather, the way that war drives a more atheistic mindset in some people that's very evident with Hawkeye later on and how they get so cynical towards Father Mulcahy. Yeah. Like that's kind of a, like how I said last episode, the way, the way that war, um, like de-evolved Hawkeye, like later season Hawkeye would never make that kind of a joke. One, because he wouldn't even be able to bring it up in himself to pretend to pray or take religion that seriously. Yeah. But also, he wouldn't have made fun of Father Mulcahy in that way because he respects that Father Mulcahy does believe. Yeah, that's a good point. So it feels like an interesting, this is young, naive Hawkeye versus who he becomes later. Definitely, yeah. 
it's like it's such a small moment that that only on a rewatch do you realize the difference in the mm-hmm. person. Speaking of Father Mulcahy, too, not- notably absent from this episode, like we mentioned. Yeah. Also not in this episode are a lot of the other people they just introduced in the pilot, like... Uh, Dish and... Dish. Jones. Jones. And uh, so, uh, who, the, there's another person who's not in this one. Uh, there was a female officer from the first episode. I know the actress's name is Odessa because I think her name's very pretty. Oh, uh, Ginger Bayless. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, none of them are in this episode. This one really focuses on just those five main characters. Yeah. Um, I I had in my notes, I had written Breaking Bad. Because <laughs> it was re- like the stark difference was reminding me very much of Walter White even more this time. Like how Breaking Bad just starts off kind of almost silly with the stuff that happens it's to Walter. It's very comical, yeah. And... <laughs> And MASH, like, if MASH set out intended to become what it did, it would be, like, the most brilliant writing ever. Uh, But it also feels very much... It feels like the way that MASH goes wound up influencing people way more than they think. Like, Mm. that's not to say I think Breaking Bad was influenced by MASH. It probably was a little bit. It probably was. Um... But not to say that for definite, it feels like this kind of a journey was so impactful on the generation that viewed it that we see traces of, I would say, not the villain's journey, kind of antithetical to the hero's journey. Yeah. Because um, hero's journey, the anti-hero's journey, because um, that's very much what happens to Hawkeye. And you can see that kind of thing through a lot of other shows, like a hero's journey type format, but for someone who does not end up well at the end. Right. Um, and I think that's just an in- a very interesting influence to see because those influences come out in various ways. Like I was telling you, uh, writers from The Wire are in Black Sails, and that very much shows. Like there are moments in Black Sails that have the same... The same, like, mode of intrigue and, like, just the way that, uh, how creative the problems become feels very much like The Wire. Um, so I feel like that, that kind of shows through here. Hell, there's parts of Westworld with the man in black that feel... Oh, yeah. That feel very... You probably watched MASH as a kid, didn't you? Like, that's more what I mean. <laughs> not that not that people are intentionally, like, writing homages to MASH, but in their writing, you go, you probably watched MASH. Yeah, I mean, it, it was by far one of the most popular TV shows of its era. Yeah. So. I need to give you my antique desk in Animal Crossing. It looks like it. Oh, it looks, it looks like, like It desk. looks like Blake's desk. Yeah, yeah you should. I, I have to, because now you have the destination sign post on your island. I do. And we have you, to make a little the, mash homage. You have the fatigues. Yeah, <laughs> I got a little fatigues outfit in Animal Crossing. Uh, yeah, that's that's how geeky and weird we are for this show. Um, I, I thought it was interesting at the end that Charlie Lee <coughs> turned around the joke of we all look alike oh, on yeah. Blake. Um I thought that was significant because it, MASH very much had this, like, it was not progressive in a lot of stuff that it did, kind of because that was what was 
so socially acceptable that they weren't really in the mode of realizing it was wrong yet. Yep. But it was also very progressive in new thoughts and ideas that were coming through at the time. Yes. It was definitely on the forefront of like, hey, racism is really shitty. Yeah. But at the same time, they're calling Jones what they're calling him. They stop pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's like, so they can make the, the like, haha, we all look alike joke flipping it around, which is more progressive for that time than it would be for now. Yeah. Like there's, yeah. there's a lot with MASH that you do have to look through the lens of what they were trying to accomplish when the show came out in the seventies. Yep. Uh, and I just think it's it's absolutely brilliant for the way that it does it because over time it does balance out to where it introduces concepts a lot better, um, especially when we get rid of Frank. <laughs> uh, yes, Frank definitely brings the uh, social intelligence of the show down a bit. Well, and it's also like Frank is so shitty in that aspect, but everyone kind of treats it like... It feels very uh, 70s TV in the way that Frank says something really racist and everyone's just like, uh, Frank, like, instead of calling him out, instead of telling him to not say that anymore, like, nobody holds Frank accountable. Yeah. But they do express displeasure in what he says. Yep. Which feels like everybody's got that racist grandpa kind of yep. kind of attitude. Can't relate, but, like... It, it's kind of that attitude where when people have like a really shitty like uh, relative and they're just like, oh, that's just how he is. Like, it feels like everyone felt that way about Frank and yep. you don't realize how much it was bringing the show down until he's gone. Yep. And then the second he's gone and Charles comes in, <coughs> Charles is shitty in a different way and in a way that's actually entertaining. Yeah. Frank is not. And he's that way from clearly episode one. And by episode two, do, you guys, we're going to hit a point where I drink enough gin where I'm just chanting, fuck Frank Burns over and over. Well, it's like it, both Blake, Blake's incompetence is only matched by Frank Burns and Frank Burns just, it, he's not even the type of character where you love him because he's awful. He's just awful. Yeah. Like... I, I actually had this conversation with someone who I was trying to explain Frank Burns to them. And they were like, yeah, but like, he's no Joffrey. And I was like, no, 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 no. You got, you got a couple season, short seasons with Joffrey. We have like 75 episodes with Frank Burns. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's a way that that shittiness <laughs> wears you down as a person. I'm also going to throw this out there that... Joffrey is a fantastic character on Game of Thrones because Joffrey's actually like a well-written character, yes. even though he's a piece of shit. He's Frank a piece is, of shit, but Frank he's is a great just character. not well-written. Frank, he's just a terrible character. Frank feels like everyone tried to put their racist grandpa into one character, <laughs> and that meant that there was nothing left to <coughs> add characterization to because he's too busy <laughs> shooting off horrific one-liners. <laughs> <laughs> Or he's too busy reminding people of their rank in the military, which I uh, oh god, I've known I've known majors like him where it's just like you realize there are still a lot of people above you, homie. Uh a major on a power trip is the most obnoxious thing. 
not because the rank of major is pointless. I've known wonderful majors. It takes a lot of work to become a major, which is why I don't believe that Frank got there. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> a major that is arrogant about being a major. Yeah. They act like a corporal. <laughs> like, it's, oh, it's just, it's real, uh, it's real pond scum behavior. And I mean, we'll get to that in episode in the next couple episodes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, both, both my parents being military and just having uh, lots of good friends in the military and grandparents... Uh, there are certain aspects of MASH that we even get into in later seasons where there are certain things that are like way funnier for me. Oh, yeah. Than they are for you. Yeah, because you have that (laughs) life experience. Yeah, or things that are way more like dismal, like when they talk very earnestly about the walks. Um, Oh, yeah. Like when they talk about like when uh, the various nurses and things talk about the walk and uh, what happens for them there or their struggles there it's like yeah that was my mom so that's like that hits a lot more home so i think mash also kind of hits that point there's there's a lot of shows and movies like the constant example is the movie waiting uh which is about being a a waiter and working in a restaurant yeah um that it just doesn't hit the same if you don't have that life experience so it's interesting to me the way that um generations go in the way that we always seem to be in a war that for a show that nowadays would probably like only really hit good like if you tried to make a modern mash with this level of like army humor it would probably only really connect with army brats and current soldiers and former vets like yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't connect with the general public the way that MASH did, which says a lot for the war times that that was. But if you modernized MASH, which you couldn't because of the way that the military is entrenched in how movies get made. Uh, but if there was a modernized version of MASH, something more like Scrubs, yep. uh, that covered what we were dealing with politically, I think it would hit that full general thing because of what our generation grew up with. You know, like our generation and uh, who's below us, Gen Z. Um, yes. Pretty much don't have much knowledge of a world without the war. Afghan war. Right, yeah. Um, so I think that a modernized version that covered like, that spoke to the generalized public the way MASH did. Bless you. <coughs> oh, bless you. Uh like, I think it would have to, it would be a little less about the military and a little bit more about the people uh, in a modernized version. But I think it would hit the same general public. I think it would still be as endeared. Or, yeah. Or as a, that's the wrong word. I haven't drank that much gin. Um <laughs> I just think uh, you would have to do a lot of modernizing, but I think a, a concept like this could exist today. And that's almost sad. It feels like we learned nothing. To put it on a sad note. Because, let's it's, face it, by the, is... by the end of this show, it's going to be depressing. 
And to be fair, that's one of the morals of the show is that we don't learn from our mistakes. Nope. So it's fitting. Yeah. Uh, But I feel like you would have to change the characters completely. Oh, yeah. To modernize it. The only character that could remain is Hawkeye. Um, uh, but, but, uh, no. Hula, Hula, well, I say Hulahan could exist in a modern version, but Hulahan would not be tolerated by the masses as a character. Oh, yeah, 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 no. You would have to update Hulahan because honestly, Mulcahy. like, I think Mulcahy could still exist. Yeah. <laughs> um, you could have Hawkeye. There's that guy on TikTok that does, like, the priest jokes. Yeah. Uh, that would be a good Father Mulcahy. But, like, really, you can look at Scrubs and it's a one-to-one comparison. Yeah. Like, Elliot is absolutely Houlihan. Yep. Turk and JD are BJ and... Uh, Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Because JD and Hawkeye, pretty much same shit. Yeah. Uh, there's not really a one-to-one for Dr. Cox because Dr. Cox has a little bit... A little bit Hawkeye, a little bit... More Winchester yeah. than... But he's not as snooty. Yeah. Um, but Potter and Dr. Kelso, like... Definitely. It... There's more women the jan- on Scrubs. The janitor and Klinger. Oh, God, yeah, the janitor and Klinger. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> how many How many more episodes do we have before Klinger joins? Uh, I don't want to spoil it. Ah. I miss him already. Me too. <laughs> Klinger really brings so much heart to the show. He does. And I, I adore him greatly. But on that note, should yes. we... Uh, we should wrap it for this. Wrap this one and watch episode three and then talk and about that. Make some more drinks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have found the magic thing that will make me finish a glass. Apparently. <laughs> All right. So you want to start us on the outro? Sure. I, I have been one of your illustrious hosts, Ian E. Muller. You can find me online doing many wonderful things on uh, ianemuller.com or um, I forgot my Twitter handle for a second there. Uh, Ravnos. Ra- you can, or on Twitter as Ravnos. R-A-V-N-O-S. As? Not at. <laughs> <laughs> oh, episode three is going to be fun. And I've been your other co-host, Ellie Collins. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ellie underscore A underscore Collins where you can find all of the other things I create there. It's a lot. I'll spare you. Uh, but yes, yeah, so we we are done for this episode. Time to go make some more drinks and watch the next episode. We'll see you guys next time. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>